totally believe God loves that song because he wants you to know who you are. He wants you to know who you are, and he wants you to pray like you know who you are. He wants you to understand that you are of him. And he wants you to pray like you understand that you've been given inheritance, that you've been delivered, that you have been set free. You have to take what is yours. We, we should be proclaiming what is instead of praying for what we think we do not have. If he said it, it is real. If, you look at, if we look at young Samuel, he went to sleep and he heard the voice calling him. And he said, Eli, did you call me? No, I didn't call you. So Samuel went to sleep again, and then Eli, and he heard the voice, Samuel. So he runs back to Eli. He said, you surely called me. He said, I did not call you. So then what would we think was happening is except that had Eli, had Samuel not heard Eli's voice, he wouldn't have known that it was God calling him because God spoke through Eli to teach Samuel and he wants us to learn what the word says and then we are expected to respond to that word because God wouldn't have spoken to Samuel unless he said here am I Lord and he did this as he was taught and we must be learning to be taught, be willing to be taught, and not so swimming so much in the adversities of life because of the adversity of, of life. You've been given dominion over that. It's mine. Healing is mine. Salvation is mine. I have promises for my children and my grandchildren. I have promises for this church. I've invested in this church because I know that I am one in Christ Jesus. I am confident who in, I, in who I am. And you can be confident in who you are too if you will begin to believe differently. God wants you to know who you are. And he wants you to speak about that. And when the devil is all over you, Yours, it's your dominion unless you give it away. I think that how can we understand if we don't know? How can we speak and how can we believe if we don't know what we speak and what we believe? So now we have to transfer from knowing what to knowing who we believe in. Because we in John chapter 17 have, put, have become one in him. How do you know that? Because that's what Jesus prayed. It's not the sweet by and by. It's standing in who you are and what you've been given and you're today and you're right now. I want this nation for God. I want the world for God. If he's given me dominion and he died for me to have this, I know that Christianity begins at the ascension, not the, not the cross. The cross has to put the end of all of that. It has to put the end of all of it away. It has to put the end of all of it away for you as well so that you can say, I have dominion. And we say, we say in the name of Jesus, and some say in the name of Jesus, and it works. And some say in the name of Jesus, and it doesn't work. Because we have to respond to God in all things, not to what the devil's doing in all things. And I know that gets really hard. 
It gets really hard. It gets really difficult because the voices are so loud. But we are not trained to understand the oneness of Christ Jesus. I demand it. I am one in him. If he says, I, have, I can be given the mind of Christ, <laughs> we must apprehend who we are in Christ. If he says, I'm bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, then sickness and disease doesn't belong in here. I may have to deal with it, but it does, it's not, I'm not, it's dominion, it's mine. And it's going to bow in Jesus' name. Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible says it's so. And as I come in and I appreciate that person, you know, I, I was thinking this morning, I, heard, I, was, I was like, I was hearing this conversation in, in, in the spirit realm, and I hear a lot of things that are spoken and in acknowledgement of loving one another. But the, there's a fact here that I love you, but you don't know that. But that doesn't mean it's any less true. It does not mean it's any less true. We are one in Christ Jesus. We have to understand what that means. When the word starts speaking to you, when you start reading the word and it's something that Jesus said, you begin to respond back to that word. If he says, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life, that means I don't need to look anywhere else. Because he's the great I am. He fixed things at the cross. But for us, it begins at the ascension. And we're, we're, we're fighting with death all the time. And Jesus has got that, that key. We're fighting with the ways of hell all the time. And Jesus has that key. He has the keys to hell. And he has the keys to death. And we've been given life. And we may look around, and here's what, here's what we do wrong. When we start praying, we don't feel like we have life. So we don't believe we've been given life. Or somebody's a better Christian than me or than you. The only difference, I've seen, I've seen little kids come up and say, be healed in Jesus' name. You know why they say it? Because it's said so in the Bible. And because they believe it, it activates that living word. It's time we kick the devil out of our house. It's time we stop getting beat up. Who's been given authority? I have given you authority, he says, to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all power of the enemy. And nothing by any means shall harm you. We have to uproot and take care of that tear. It's going to grow with the wheat. But you just take care of yourself and let Jesus take care of the tears. He doesn't want to see you beat up and hurt and wounded and abusing yourself and abusing others and, and feeling like you're not worth anything. You are a child of God. He likes that song. Uh, he also likes the song, we were one in the spirit. We were one in the Lord. Every time anybody's ever heard that song sung, the spirit of God shows up. I am the righteousness of Christ Jesus. How about you? How about you? 
Oh, here he comes. Great Holy Ghost. Great Holy Ghost. In our acknowledgement of life, we can see life in each other. I want big things. Big things. And I'm going to get them. And I want to acknowledge the Lord speaking through someone. Last time I was here, through Chad and through Jim. Sorry, I just my, my mind went blank. It was a senior moment just for a second. Got it back. When they prayed for me, God showed up and he changed something in me. I am still in progress, but he did change something. And the reason I could connect with that was because I connected with Christ who is in them. They're not any more holy than I am, and they're not any more holy than you are. We are holy because of Christ. We are redeemed because of Christ. We have truth. So why are we believing lies? We must speak what we become one to a believe in. And we can turn a belief page. And turn a page of belief. And begin to speak that. What is really real. Stop having conversations with the devil. You don't have anything to say. It's simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And all your soul. And all your mind. And all your strength. And love others as yourself. And that is the fulfillment of law. The devil cannot have love. Give love. So therefore he loses. Amen. All right. Thank you, Father. I'm always a little apprehensive she's going to steal my sermon, and she did half of it, so we'll have to recover, but... Um, thank you guys so much for being up here, man. Y'all did amazing. Isn't the Lord good through those guys? Man, I'm telling you what, we're so blessed. So blessed. Is everybody doing okay? If you have children and you want to send them back, you're more than welcome to. If you want to keep them with you, you can do that as well. I have one announcement. I don't know if Abe announced this or not, but we have started. Um, okay, so I know it's complicated. We do everything complicated. I apologize. All right, so... We have now three Sunday night services a month. Okay, the fourth Sunday night of every, uh, of every month is off. The first Sunday night of every month is the worship set we're going to just do. We just come in here and worship and just lay before God and just, I don't even know what happens. The second and third Sundays, now that we're doing this, the second and third Sunday nights of the month, we're having uh, discipleship um, discussions where it's basically Q&A roundtable stuff where we meet together. Uh, I've been showing a video. Sometimes it connects with what I'm talking about. Sometimes it doesn't. But nonetheless, it's basically set aside for you guys to be able to interact with, um, with me and other people who might have uh, direction for where you're at. Maybe it's theological, hermeneutical, maybe it's social, emotional, relational, ministerial, whatever it might be. The questions that begin to come up, uh, we begin to uh, address those in a public forum setting so it's actually custom for what you want to learn instead of me trying to teach you something you may have no interest in, right? So it's actually uh, set up to where we can just hang out. It's uh, there's, there's no music or anything like that. We just come together. We 
We have a little bit of coffee. We sit down. We just we just start discussing things of the Word of God. So you're welcome to come to that. I don't know. Did you did you announce that or? Okay, sorry. I, I didn't want to assume. So uh, maybe you guys we can put that on the board for for next week and um, get that get that on the line. You guys are more than welcome to to come. All right. Um, okay. Here we go. Y'all ready? Okay. <laughs> so there was a guy who uh, decided to go to the country club one, one afternoon with his buddies. And he gets there. They're playing racquetball. And they get done. They're going to take showers and get ready to clean up and go home. And phone rings. And the guy picks up the phone, puts it on speakerphone. As all his guys listening to the conversation. His, his wife calls, I guess. And, and she says, hey, honey, how you doing? And he says, I'm, I'm good, you know. And she says, well, listen, I got a question to ask you that I... I uh, I just was at the mall and that that new Gucci purse is on sale. It's it was normally eight thousand. It's now at six, and I was wondering if I could have it. And uh, he said, "Well, that's a lot of money for a purse, but if it makes you happy, go ahead and buy it." And she got really excited and she's like, "Are you serious?" And she's like, "Yeah, go ahead." She's like, "Well, well, since since we're talking, you know that new Ferrari that 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 we wanted. It it they dropped the price a hundred thousand dollars, and it's only a half a million now." And uh, He's like, well, if we're going to pay that kind of money, I want the full package, and you offer him 50000 less. And she's like, are you serious? And he said, yeah, go ahead. And so she's just all giddy and laughing. And she's like, well, if we're, on, if we're going to be doing this kind of spending, she's like, the house that we wanted, it just came back on the market. It fell through. The, the, the people that were going to buy it fell through, and they've lowered the price $2 million. It's only $10 million now. And he said, well, he said, all right. Let's make it. Let's do the change. And she just squealed and got all excited and everything. At this point, all his buddies and friends listening, are, their mouths are wide open. Their eyes are just like. And, he, and she says, I love you so much, honey, and hangs up the phone. And he looks at his friends and goes, does anybody know whose phone this is? <laughs> okay. Poor guy. That'd be my luck. Okay, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Um, we're going to be bouncing around a couple of different places, but I want to share with some of you some recap, I guess. How many of you guys have known or experienced seeing recently, just in the start of this year, that the level of distractions have gone through the roof? Anybody notice that? I mean, it can be anything from personal issues, relational issues, weather, whatever it might be, sickness, any kind of distraction to get your eyes off of Jesus and community and kingdom. Um, it could even be a blessing that you kind of realize that God has given you that's kind of pulled your eyes off of him. Anything can become a distraction. And anything that's a distraction ultimately doesn't serve the greater purpose, even if it's, even if it's from God himself. It does no good to justify a blessing of God if it steals the vision of God from your mind and your heart. Right, So I've noticed that, that this year it seems like there's been a lot of distractions, a lot of things coming against a lot of people. There's a lot of war. There's a lot of things that are happening in people's minds, hearts, relationships. And there's a reason that's happening. And I want to help you understand the reason, because if you don't understand the reason of why these things are occurring, you're not going to understand the plan of God that he's actually manifesting right before your eyes. See, the problem with blindness is that we don't see what God sees, but we think we see what he sees. Blind people are deceived people. They don't know. It, it doesn't mean they're willingly deceived. It just means they don't know. You with me? For example, everybody in this room has a problem in your life right now that you don't believe you have. If you believed you had it, you'd know about it, and you'd work on fixing it. 
You don't know you have it until it's revealed to you through the improper character or response to a certain degree of situations that reveals you to you. And then all of a sudden, where you were blind on your imperfections, you're now seeing clearly, and you go, where did that come from? You with me? The problem was always there. Everybody else may have saw it. You're just now aware of it. You with me? Anybody deny that? Okay, good. I'm glad no hands went up. That would just confirm the fact that you're deceived. So thank you for not making that awkward for the rest of us. I've learned one thing that as I go on, the Lord continually exposes my heart. And it's my responsibility to deal with what he exposes. If I don't take the responsibility that he has taken to expose me and and do something with that, then I secure myself in that season until I do something about what he's wanting to to have done. In other words, I, I halt my progress because I'm not doing my part of the kingdom of God. And I'm expecting him to do the rest. Many times Christians get things backward. We're waiting for God to do the things that he's waiting for us to do, right? And then we're expecting him to fight our battles that he expects us to fight. God will send you to where the battle is, but he will not destroy your own Goliath. He will not do that. Grace doesn't take down giants. Grace empowers you to take down giants. You're the one that takes down the giant. If the giant exists and still stays in your life, it's not because God hasn't granted you what you need to be able to win that battle. It's because you haven't actually took down the giant that's in front of you because of whatever reason. Maybe you don't believe you have the authority. Maybe you believe that that God's not with you. Maybe you believe it's supposed to be there in your life. Or maybe you're in love with the giant. See, it's one thing for us to walk through seasons of our life, but it's another thing to not change the mindset as we enter a new season. Do you realize that at one point, David actually fought for the Philistines? You realize that? You guys ever remember that story? Some of y'all need to read your Bible, and then we can come back to church. (laughs) David actually fought for the Philistines for a season. At some point in your life, you're going to wake up realizing you're a king fighting for the enemy. Whose responsibility is that? It's yours. Just because you're a king doesn't mean the war you're fighting is the right one. Many wars that you're in are just distractions. The devil's got you on a merry-go-round, and you think you're making a difference when you're just really just tired. I hear a chuckle. It's Okay. I want to help you understand how God works and how the kingdom works and how, how, how we process life and the reality of the kingdom of God, how it pulls us away from the ultimate thing that we desire in our heart. If you find yourself fighting for the enemy and you keep that mindset, you're never going to take out the Goliath that's in your current situation. Do you realize that Goliath was present in the same territory in which David was present when he fought for the Philistines. That same seed was there. So think about it. David takes out this, this giant, and he goes and fights for the same people he took their leader out. 
how does that make sense? How does that, how does that make sense when you get this 12 to 15 year old boy who takes down the biggest enemy that the Israel has, and then a few years later he's fighting for the same people he fought against? See, it's possible to follow Jesus and do great miracles and great works, and then all of a sudden find yourself fighting for the enemy without realizing it. When you're immersed in religion, you're not fighting for the kingdom of God. You with me? When you're trying to do everything on your own without Jesus, you're not fighting for the kingdom of God. You're not making progress. You're actually helping the enemy undermine your own authority. And that's where he gets his authority is when he gets you to use yours against yourself. The most powerful weapon you'll ever face in your life is your own authority against yourself. Saul, the king of Israel, displayed that, that he had, he had him and his son had the only two swords in Israel. And you know how Saul died? A sword represents the word, does it not? Saul fell on his own sword. He used his own weapon against himself, and it ended his kingship. And there's so many Christians that use the word against themselves because they're more familiar with the, the voice of the enemy using Scripture in their head than the voice of the Holy Spirit. They haven't figured out the difference between condemnation and conviction. They feel the same, different outcomes. Why is that true? Because the enemy tries to get to be as close to like Jesus as he possibly can. That way you'll buy the lie. He would rather get you to buy the lie in religion than to buy the lie in immorality. Because with immorality, you know you're doing wrong. With religion, you think you're doing right. It's a greater form of deception to do right without God than it is to be in sin against God. What's that mean? It means the people that are in the most danger of deception are in the church. Go read the stories Jesus talks about. He says to the, to the children of Israel, he says, hey, he says, sinners and prostitutes and whores and thieves will actually make it to the kingdom of God for you guys will. Why? Because they know they're sinners. Right? They know. They don't trust themselves. And they know they need something more. So what we need to understand is the purpose of life, why we're going through what we're going through, and never to allow the enemy to undermine our own authority. All right? So did you make it to Matthew 5? Okay, hold your finger there. We're going to get to it in just a second. I want you to understand we cannot live the ascended life without first living the crucified life. What does that mean? Do you guys understand that Jesus did, he defeated all powers of darkness, true or not? Okay. Well, then why in the world do you struggle with so many of them? Because he's not going to fight your portion of that battle. He's just going to give you the authority to win if you choose to engage. You hear me? He, Jesus is not... Go, he, he won all of it. He beat all of it. But so many people in Christianity go, well, Jesus did it all, so I don't have to do anything. No, Jesus did it all, so you can do everything. There are no limits on you anymore. The only ones that are, you have are the ones you impose upon yourself. So if Jesus beat everything, then why is it so hard for Christians to beat anything? Because they're giving their authority to something else, and they're waiting for God to do something in their life that God's waiting on them to do themselves. You with me? 
You can't live the ascended life without living the crucified life. In other words, you can't enforce the victory of Jesus over the demonics until you go through the cross yourself. Jesus went through the cross so that we could carry ours well. Before Jesus took his cross, we had not the ability nor the authority to carry our own. But now that he took his own cross, which was ours also, it also gives us the ability to bear that same cross. Show me a Christian who doesn't know sacrifice, and I'll show you a Christian who can't plant seed. Why is seed important? Because it's the propagation of Jesus, Messiah, on the earth, in your family, in your communities. And if you don't plant, then everything you think you believe dies with you. And your effectiveness ends where you do. When the Bible says that Jesus' blood speaks better things than out of Abel. In other words, it's still crying out from the ground. Why? Because he is the ultimate seed form of the gospel, and it never, ever dies. Why? Because it died. If you want things to be eternal in your relationships, in your marriage, in your, in your emotions and issues, in your heart, in your life, if you want those things to be eternal in your life, they have to go through the crucified process. Many people, God's trying to, right now, I believe for 2022, I believe God's trying to transition people out of an old into a new. I really believe that. But I believe that it's conditional upon our ability to go from this to this. And the thing that keeps us from this to this is processing thought the wrong way. We're trying to live a new season in an old mindset, and it doesn't make sense, and it doesn't work, and so therefore we think this is no longer relevant, and we quit, and we go backwards, which is exactly what the devil wants us to do. Where you're comfortable is where the devil is also. If you get comfortable, you don't need God where you're at. There we go. Thank you. All right. I can move on now. I was waiting. I'm just going to sit there for a while and let it hang. And You guys understand in Genesis 15 that God made a covenant with Abraham. That covenant was, had everything to do with a son and with the establishment of a kingdom. I don't have time to teach you. If you want to know more about that, you can go back to Sonship Series on the, on the website. And I believe the first one, which is the last one on the, on the list, you can go listen to that. But the, when God made a covenant with us, the Abrahamic covenant is one of the most powerful covenants in the Bible outside of the covenant that Jesus made on the cross. Why? Because the Abrahamic covenant was the covenant that God made that shadowed what was going to happen when the new covenant was fully established. And in form and in type, God did in the Old Testament, under that blood covenant he made with Abraham, what Jesus did for us on the cross. Right? And so when God promised Abraham something, he promised him three things. It was about, it was about having a, the covenant... Right? A son and land. The kingdom is the land. The son is the uh, out expression of the, of the covenant of God. And the covenant is his promise that he, he can't break. Right? So the process of all Christianity comes down to God made a promise because he wants a people to possess the land. You're the land. That's the land. People are land. Seed goes where? In the land. Without seed, there is no harvest. You are supposed to be planted in people's lives and circumstances so that there can be a harvest that comes out of your life. But Jesus said himself, the principle of the seed is first this. If it doesn't go into the ground and what? Die. It cannot bring forth good fruit. And we wonder why so many things in our life aren't bringing forth good fruit because we're resisting the very thing that God is giving us to actually be an advancement. 
We're trying to live the ascended life without the crucifixion. You're not, in other words, you're not giving up what God wants you to give up so that way you can be blessed the way you want to be blessed. The blessing doesn't come until the death has had its full work. If God did bless you before that, you would misuse it and turn whatever the blessing was into an idolatry situation, and God would have to rip it from you again anyway. Does this make sense to you? So if the enemy can't steal your covenant, he's going to steal your seed. Let me show you how the enemy works. If he can't steal your covenant, your promise, which most of the time he does, he steals your promise, and how does he do that? Through hopelessness. If your eyes are on the manifestation of your promise instead of Jesus, then he's always going to be able to steal your promise because you're looking at the lack of the manifestation of the promise and not the promise that was given by the God that you say you love and serve. Your vision's off there. When your vision's off, he steals your covenant. If he can't steal your covenant, he'll undermine or steal your seed. Right? It does no good for me to hold my covenant true for my life and not let the devil st steal it if I don't have an impact and seed in someone else. So what the devil understands is at any point, all he has to do is stop one chain in the process and the rest of the kingdom relevancy begins to become a moot point. Because it all has to work together. It's all in unity. So if he can't steal my covenant and I, and I hold my own personal relationship with Jesus but I don't affect anybody else, then he's stolen my seed. And if he can't steal your seed, then he's going to choke out your harvest. And this is where a lot of Christians get caught. The ones that are spiritually mature, the ones we call pastors and leaders today, you know what happens? A lot of times they've held their covenant, they've held their seed, but then they get choked out by the cares of the world. Growing a bigger ministry or jobs and stresses and finances and relationships and issues, cares of this life, things that will be ripped from your hands when death comes anyway, but yet we make it the most important thing about our life. I believe that God heals marriages, but I don't believe that that's his ultimate goal for your life because you won't be married in heaven. And if you put one before the other, you sacrifice one or the other. The only way you get both is if you put the kingdom first. If you don't put the kingdom over the issue you have the need in, then the need will murder the kingdom that you're, that you're actually hungering for. It's amazing we can be Christians in the 21st century and not be kingdom focused. I don't even know how we've managed to accomplish that, but we did it somehow. That people can just believe and do what they want and go work their job, come to church on Sunday, feel good about Jesus and what he's done in their life, and then go back and live the same way and impact nothing, affect nothing. Make sense? The best we can do at that point is create little microcultures and call ourselves holy within those microcultures, but we never change anything outside the culture. That's what religion is. The church is more cultish than it realizes. So we need a restored vision. How many of you want to grow? You've got to begin to see where you're blind so that you can begin to move. If you don't see that, if I don't see that, if we don't see that, then you're going to be satisfied to stay where you are. And all your, all your religion is going to be about is just justifying why it's okay for you to stay where you're at. God doesn't create wanderers. People who wander die. That shirt says, not all who wander are lost. Wrong. <laughs> wanderers are always lost. Jesus creates sons who know where they're going. They know the agenda of life. They don't get distracted. They have one issue, no side issues, and they're bent until they perform the Father's will. 
That doesn't sound like modern Christianity. The Bible says that, you know, a lot of people get tossed every wind and wave of doctrine. You know what that means? If you look at the church culture over the last hundred years, that's exactly what she's fulfilled. She hasn't been consistent and stable in anything. What she's done is she's rode movements. Go back and study church culture and church history. She's rode movements. You know, this happens, and then she's over here. And a prophetic movement happens, and she comes over here. And then the word of faith happens, and she comes over here. There's nothing stable incorporating all of it into one expression. It's, she's just back and forth. And then whenever whatever's going on right now you know, ends, a new movement will come, and she'll, she'll bend that way because she's not satisfied with Jesus being her everything. She's looking for something more when she possesses everything. Why is she looking for something more? Because she doesn't believe what she has. She's asking God to give her something she already possesses, and God can't answer a prayer like that. We're not aware, like what she was saying, of what God has given us, though we agree that he gave it to us. It's a weird thing that we do. Theologically, we're like, oh, I know, I know, I know. Do you really know? Then why aren't you living it? If you actually say you know and you're not living it, then you're claiming willful rebellion. It, if you don't want any more toe stomping, you better leave now. <laughs> See, I say that so nobody can leave. It works. All right. All right, look, listen. Our, our lack of ability to see clearly results in a lack of ability to think clearly. If you're not perceiving a circumstance or a situation accurately, then you're going to think differently about that circumstance. And then as you think, you're going to believe. And as you believe, you're going to go. Everybody in here, including myself, you're on a trajectory in your life that you think is right. And the reason you think that is right is because it's probably preferential to you. Jesus was on a trajectory that he knew was right, and it wasn't preferential to him. I would say this, nine times out of ten or 99 times out of 100, when you follow the Spirit of God, it's going to take you to a place you do not want to go. You need to be very concerned if God actually starts giving you what you want. Because everything God has ever done in my life, it's always been him asking me to do something I didn't want to do, and then great fruit came out of it. It's, there was always a death somewhere in it that I had to give up, something I had to let go of, something I had to sacrifice, something I had to be, be willing to, to, to remove out of my life in order for something greater to happen. And isn't that the processed standard kingdom operation of Jesus Christ of Nazareth? In order to bring about something greater for us, he had to undergo something hellish for himself. We get this principle in parenthood, but we don't understand it in our own Christianity. Parents are willing to suffer certain things so their children can be blessed, but we don't understand that our own Christianity falls under the same directive. A church that doesn't suffer is a church that doesn't rule and reign. And most of our prayer life is get, trying to get God to stop the suffering when God sent the suffering and ordered us for us to rule. But we don't process it that way because we haven't repented. We haven't changed how we thought. And we don't change how we think because we haven't changed how we've seen. Anytime in my life where I want to grow spiritually, I come back to a place in my life and say, God, show me where I'm blind because I am somewhere. I just don't see it. That's why I don't see it. Something that I believe now is keeping me from something greater that he has for me to, for, for tomorrow. 
It's the hungry who are willing to admit in humility, I don't see everything, God, and you need to change me. Or if you don't change me, I'm not going to pursue and walk. If I go by what happened yesterday, I can create a great religion, a great movement, a great congregation. I can create this great thing that happens that's built upon what happened yesterday, but then I can only take people up to that yesterday. And as soon as they've reached that zenith, I can take them no farther because I've not gone there myself. If we don't grow, we stifle generations behind us. Does this make sense to you? All right. So because God doesn't stop us from blurring, you know, from, from opposing our will against his, many times we blur the lines of what he wants with versus what we want. I mean, I, I can give you a, an extreme example, but the lesser ones still apply. I've had pastors sit there and tell me, God told me to leave my wife. I'm sorry, sir, you're not hearing the voice of the Lord, you're hearing the devil. And you have blurred the lines between what God's will is and your will. And if you're willing to do it on that great of a level, where are we on the lesser ones? Okay, you follow me? The kingdom requires a God-type focus. A God-type vision. The kingdom can't be seen with human eyes. It can only be seen through divine eyes. If you want to live for the kingdom, you're going to have to see differently than what you see right now. Jesus said what? Seek first the kingdom. He didn't say, seek first my father, seek first my love, seek first my presence, seek first the secret place, seek first... He didn't say that, did he? Why didn't he clarify? Because in order to seek the kingdom, all those things are a part of that, yes. But to seek the kingdom, you have to let go of a part of you that is affecting the rest of the things that he didn't clarify. Seek first the kingdom. In other words, I get closer to God when I lay myself down for somebody else's betterment and his presence and my intimacy in the secret place goes up just because I've postured myself in kingdom relevance for someone else. And then the availability to access him opens because I'm actually obeying him, which, according to Scripture, means I love him. Most Christians say, I love Jesus, but they don't obey him. Whenever his context of love is obedience. What we've done is we've mistaken this ethereal, emotional idea of love that when he falls on us, we feel good about him. And I'm like, oh, I love you, Jesus. But then we live in rebellion and disobedience as lowercase k kings Monday through Saturday. And then we come to church Sunday expecting to have the, the, the ascended life over all the things in our, in our hearts. But we continue to do it. Do you, do you realize, I'm about to say something that's probably, I, I've, I've actually offended this. I don't mean to offend anybody, but you're not a victim. You can't claim victimhood. If you do, you are admitting subjugation to the one that hurt you, which only propagates your issue. But most people will say, I'm not a victim, but they believe and allow their emotions to go towards victim, victimization. Does that make sense? There are no victims in the kingdom of God. There are only victors. That's it. If you're not conquering, it's because you've been conquered by the wrong thing. Period. God believes you can take out giants. If you fall in love with them, that's not his fault. 
If you're paying clouds your victory, then you have never realized the level of authority God's given you over your wound. Seeing a wound clearly means seeing it through the eyes of Jesus. His wounds heal people. Ours poison others. It's a big difference whenever he's wounded versus when we're wounded. There shouldn't be one, though. Well, they shouldn't have done that to me. You're right, they probably shouldn't have. But we shouldn't have done that to Jesus either, and he didn't blame us. What he did is he uses the wounds we used against him to heal ourselves. When's the last time you've seen a Christian do that? Take the wounds they've received from someone else and allow them to change them to such a degree that those wounds actually heal the person who hurt them. That's what he did. You know why we don't think that way? Because we're not thinking kingdom. We're thinking churchianity. The kingdom's a different focus. It's a different lifestyle. And the distractions that I'm seeing in this year are only to take you away from seeing kingdom issues. These distractions that you're going through are to put your eyes on something that's going to pass away. And so far, for many of us, it's been successful. Does this make sense to you? You don't counsel the problem. If you counsel the problem, you enter the death zone, and you crawl into their hole, and they'll beat you to death with their pain. In fact, their pain isn't even actually relevant. Their pain is actually an opportunity. The wound is a moment of kingdom proficiency to bring forth the healing of Christ in their life. Do you realize everybody who wounds you, you have been given by God a gift of authority to come back and actually heal them with that very same thing? But we don't see it that way. We want to go through some sort of counseling situation because of how bad we've been hurt. Because basically we've taken up a victim mentality and we don't believe who we are. And we begin to fall on our own sword based upon how we feel about the situation, not how, what he said about the situation. The enemy's actually afraid of you believing what I'm, what I'm trying to say. That's why he didn't like me. Because I threatened the kingdom of darkness you built in your head. And I'm actually giving you something else to think about that's opposite to that. He does not want you to make the transition. Which is why he's fought against this church so hard in this culture, in this town been labeled and claimed everything under the sun. Because we're that? No. Because the enemy knows that when people start thinking differently about their purpose in life, their life actually begins to reflect their purpose. Are y'all understanding me today? So when the kingdom is within view, when you're focused on the kingdom, it validates and justifies present suffering. If you can see the kingdom in every circumstance, you're going to understand that the suffering you're going through is not that big of a deal, even though it hurts. Because the kingdom validates suffering. But if you lose sight of the kingdom, suffering will invalidate the kingdom. I mean, some of y'all, hopefully in 10, 15 years, maybe you suffered a while and you can go back and go, man, that guy was right. It's true. Let me just say it this way. Any anointed person that you think you look up to in the spirit, 
I don't care who, you, who, who they are to you. Anybody that you know that has an anointing in their life, that anointing is only there because of one thing. It's not because they love God. It's not because they sought God, even though they did. What brings the anointing is the suffering. What's the anointing represented as? It's like an oil, right? Well, if an oil's in a jar and the jar's not broken, the oil only blesses the jar that holds it. But as soon as that jar is broken, it's released to everybody else. When Jesus' body was broken on that cross, the anointing of his life leached into the earth, and we're still feeling the recourses of that when we sing praises to him. What we felt this morning in worship, and when you feel, when you, that is nothing more than the echoes of the anointing of God coming out of the earth, resounding in and through us made of earth, coming into one glory, one kingdom, one manifestation, one purpose, one voice to the glory of God. You know why? The enemy doesn't want you to learn this principle because if, you, if he learns, if you learn the fact that when you have to suffer, it's only an invitation to a greater glory, then he can't get you to stay in your pain and suffering. Depression only happens when you stay in one season too long. I'm telling you. If you keep moving forward, you won't be depressed. You may be oppressed, but there's a difference between oppression and depression. Oppression's from the outside, depression's from the inside. If you stay in one season too long as a believer and do not grow, you will foster and birth your own depression. Why? Because you weren't meant to be a sitter, a wanderer. Your life is not a stalemate. If it is, it's because you've made it so, not because God designed it to be that way. So when you keep kingdom focus in, your, in the issue of your heart, and you seek first his kingdom, everything else begins to come into line. All of a sudden, your marriage gets better. All of a sudden, your finances just get better. You're like, well, I didn't even do anything. How's it getting better? I don't even, God's like, you take care of my stuff, I'll take care of yours. How's that, how's that for a deal? You know what fear is? It's just a belief that God's not going to take care of, of what he said he's going to do. That's all it is. That's all fear is. Fear is the idea that you love something more than God does, and he's not going to take care of it. It happens with mothers and children all the time. They actually think they love their child more than God does. Now, they won't say that, but they actually believe, they think that. Though. That's how they act. That's how they pray. And God's like, excuse me, they're mine. They're, they never, they're, they're on loan to you. <laughs> they're not yours. I don't have grandchildren. You with me? So disappointment, if we, if we alter our course, we disappoint ourselves, yet we blame someone else. But disappointment always leads to distraction. When you lose the reason for why you're alive, you'll, you'll, you'll hover, you'll gravitate toward a lesser reason. Because you know you have purpose. You ever get caught in some sort of meaningless distraction? I don't know whether, whether it's TV or eating or bowling. I don't know. But you get caught up in something, right? You know why you get caught up in it? Because you know you're supposed to give yourself wholeheartedly to something. 
And if you don't believe you have a greater purpose, then what you're doing is you're taking the, the rhythm of, the, of God inside of you that demands to be worth something, to validate something, and you'll pour it into a lesser thing because this thing over here seems to disappoint you, and it doesn't seem to be going the right way, so you're like, well, I just can't do it, so, so I must, I'm just going to go do this. How many times have you ever met somebody in sin, or maybe it was you, it's like, well, I've already done this, I might as well do this, this, and this because I've already done this. Why? It's, it's your purpose. It's, your, it's, your, it's the, the thing inside of you that says, I have to give myself to something fully. And that's how the devil ends up tricking people a lot of times. Because a lot of times he's like, well, you, you've already screwed up here, so you might as well screw up here, here, and here, here, here. You've already gone too far. Because there's a, something inside of you that God placed there that says you need to give yourself to something fully. You ever read Ecclesiastes, wisdom literature, from the guy who had everything? He said, whatever you find to do, do it with all your might. Because there is no work, there is no, there's nothing in the grave where you're going. Whatever you do, you better give it everything you have. And it's something God placed inside of us. And that's why when people begin to get, lose their purpose and their kingdom identity as Christians, they begin to pull aside. I'm like, well, my, I'm just not feeling it in church anymore, so I'm just going to give myself to my job. Why, so you can make so much money that somebody else is going to spend when you die? Good plan. All that you're working for, somebody else is going to inhabit. Somebody else is going to drive your car, live in your house, spend your money. Doesn't matter how much you accrue. Solomon himself said that. Somebody else will spend it. Can't take it with you, right? Okay, Matthew 5. That was my intro. Let's start the sermon. I'm kidding, kidding. Start in verse 2. Jesus said, he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Beatitudes are the foundational principles of kingdom operation. When we forget these verses, we actually begin to think that God operates in a different way. Jesus says here, you're blessed if you're poor. But what are we trying to do? We're trying to be rich. Not just in, in monetary, but we're also trying to be rich in spirit. Right? Everybody, oh, I want to be, I want to be this great man of God. You know, you want to be a great man of God? Be broken and be humble. Admit you're nothing without him. And you'll take the first step. Blessing is when you realize, realize you're poor. But see, to be poor, there's a degree of suffering in that, isn't there? Because you look around, you're like, well, I don't have that, and this guy, and this, and this person, this lady, and their house, and their wife, and I wish my husband was, and I wish my wife was, and I wish my kids were more like that. And all these things that happen in your life, you begin to look at what you don't have, when what you don't have is the reward of the kingdom. It's the mindset shift when we're trying to, when God's trying to take us out of this into this, we begin to process what we don't have, and, and what we don't have was given to us because God wants us to have the kingdom of heaven. But we're trying to get the kingdom of heaven by having something to be able to get there. And poverty in spirit is the thing that gets you to, the, to where you actually want to be. But we spend our entire week trying to be like rich in spirit where we don't screw up and we don't mess up and we don't have any problems. And, and God's like, that's not the point. We're trying to escape being poor in spirit so we can feel better and more mighty in the kingdom. Is this making sense to you? 
How do you hold the kingdom line? You suffer. And you understand that when things aren't going your way, it's an invitation of God to something deeper. You understand that when he puts you in a place of poverty and spirit, that your next step is owning the kingdom of heaven. This is how you condition your mind so that when something comes in the future that you're not going to be able to really like at all, you can understand, wait a minute, I've conditioned myself for this. When this thing shows up, it's because God, my Father, is offering me a kingdom greater than this world. And that's the requirement. You want that kingdom? you got to have the poverty. We are trying to live the ascended life without the crucified life. You can't have the kingdom life without a poor in spirit life. But the poor in spirit life doesn't fill churches and make people tithe. You talk about suffering, people don't want to put money in the, in the basket. It's just the way it works. Yeah, there's there have been actual psychological tests done in churches based upon sermons preached and, and offerings given. <laughs> and they can tell you which ones bring in the most money. And you can Google those types of things and preach those sermons so you can get more money in your church. It's satanic. But it's true. On the earthly realm, it works. <laughs> I remember one guy in a, I don't even know if it should be called a church, but in a gathering of people that, that decided to put a name on the window, he said, we need to figure out how to get the people to give more. And got one guy who wasn't even saved, because I knew this guy. He wasn't saved. He went to that church. And he said, I'll tell you exactly how to get more people to give. He said, when people you walk in, you have a list right by the door of everybody who gave and how much they gave that week. And everybody sees it when they walk in. And human pride goes, oop, whoops. That zero's got to change, otherwise I look bad in front of everybody. And the next week, tithe went up. Why? Because we're focused on being rich, because we think having those things it makes us successful. When in Jesus' mind, being poor is the invitation to being successful. Amen. I'm not saying money, but even though sometimes that happens, I'm talking about being poor in spirit. And when you're poor in spirit, something inside of you doesn't always feel like it's winning. When you're poor in spirit, something inside you goes, man, I'm jacked up. <laughs> ah. And God says, yeah, and I like you that way. I like you broken. If I wanted an angel, I would have created a halo for you. Verse 4, blessed are they who mourn, and they shall be comforted. We want the comfort of the Holy Spirit, true or not. I mean, with the Holy Spirit in your life, oh, man, give me the Holy Spirit in my marriage, in my church, whoo, praise God, in the, in, the, in the worship team, let the Holy Spirit flow. You know how it comes? And here we are trying to suck up our tears and be good for God, and all we do is whenever we keep ourselves from breaking and mourning, we're keeping His presence from flowing. This is the greatest sermon in the world, and we miss it. Not my sermon, Matthew 5. See, if I didn't clarify that, somebody would go out there and say, he thinks he's the greatest preacher in the world. He said he created... Okay, say what you want. <laughs> Blessed are those who more. How many want the Holy Spirit in your marriage, your money, your finances, your life, your kids? You know what brings that? But we want a relationship with God that doesn't make us cry. We want to feel good. You know, the closest time I've ever been to God was on my face, weeping for someone else. 
broken for somebody else's sin, broken for somebody else's life, and the Holy Spirit was all over me, but it was because I was mourning. It wasn't because I was skipping through life. That word blessed, it means happy, to be envied. How can you be happy while you're mourning? You can't in the world, but in the kingdom, it's completely possible. You see the requirements of what it means to hold the kingdom line. You with me? i got to hurry up. Y'all are going to make me go late. All right, so blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You know what meekness looks like? Weakness. Nine times out of ten, meekness looks like weakness. It's misinterpreted. Turn the other cheek. You know what it means? You can't fight. Somebody punch you in the face, you turn the other cheek, you look like a coward. Who wants to look like that? Jesus was okay with it. We're trying to inherit the earth without meekness. We're trying to get souls saved without meekness. What's the earth? It's people. People. You know how you gain people? Through being meek. What did Jesus say? I am the meekest man. I am meek and lowly in heart. Guess what? He gained everybody, didn't he? Even the sinners. His death won everyone, even atheists. He owns them all. Meekness brings forth your inheritance. But we're trying to live a life that doesn't look weak. Some of the greatest sermons I've ever preached that I that changed my life was when I got up here because of obedience and I had nothing on my paper. I didn't know what to say. I was broken. I said, God, I can't do this. I don't have anything. I'm not even in a condition to say anything. And out of something, out of something, that brokenness, he just, people are like, oh, I want your notes. I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't have any. Paper's blank today. Meekness, right? Kingdom line. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they'll be satisfied. You know, how, how does it, how, how awesome is, anybody ever fast? Two hands, y'all need to get together and figure this out. Jesus said, when you fast, not if you fast. All right, so you fast, it's, it's terrible. I hate it. I've done a bunch of them, right? I'm not trying to tell you something I haven't done. I've done a bunch of them. I probably fasted more than anybody in here. I'm not bragging, I'm just saying. 240 days, bunch of 21s, it's terrible. See? He knows. All babies know that fasting is not good. You scream and cry, and that's what I feel like, a big baby when I fast. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. You ever been hungry and thirsty? Nobody wants to be that. You want to feel like you don't have everything in your life together? You want to feel like you're hungry for something, but you can't get satisfied? You want to feel like that groaning inside of you, like, God, do something, but yet it doesn't happen? You ever been there? Shall be. That's future tense. We want it right now. Blessed are hunger and thirst for righteousness that we feel. We're trying to be filled and then have hungry and thirsty. Trying to live a life where we're hungry for God while trying to be filled. No, you get hungry for God and then you're filled. It's kingdom relevancy. All the things of, the, of, of hell are to distract you from these principles and these truths. Pain, loss, lack, death, all these emotional issues, whatever it might be, are distractions to try to get you from realizing that the pain is the opportunity. 
that the kingdom mandate is hidden within the things that we despise. And that these people who love God will dig them out and find them. But the rest will not see them. Jesus spoke in parables, did he not? So that people who were full would not see. They would not hear. He says, but unto you it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. What's the mystery? It's something hidden in plain sight. You see it, you read it, you just don't get it. It's a riddle. This is it. It's the thing we're trying to escape that is the actual answer to our prayer. Many of you have been praying for certain things and then calamity has come and then you're shaking your fist at God like, why? And he said, you asked me for more. Don't try to be filled to get hungry. I want to be like you, Jesus. And Jesus is going to the Father going, don't answer that prayer yet because they don't mean it. Because being like me is going to make them hurt too bad and they're not ready for it. They still think that blessing is financial increase. You know where that came from? The church being swung around by every wind and wave of doctrine 20 years ago. Am I against financial increase? No. But if it steals your heart, I'm against it. With me? See, an unfamiliarity of how God works causes us to back away from the fight because it's not working. When you don't understand how your God works, you will back out of a fight because what you're doing won't work. And it's not working because we're not doing it the right way. Seek first the kingdom of God, not the betterment of your marriage. Is marriage important? Yes. Is it more important than the kingdom? No. No good marriage should serve the kingdom, not be served by the kingdom. The enemy will steal your seed because within the seed is the power of the DNA of Abba. Jesus is the seed. We are too. We're sons of God. We sang it, right? We are the seed. If the seed doesn't go into the ground and die, it can't live. You know what we're trying to do? Live without dying. Every one of you have one simple decision you can make in your life right now, this week, that would change everything in your relationship with God. The devil's just convinced you that's insignificant, it's stupid, it's not worth it, it's not, it doesn't mean anything, and doing that isn't going to fix anything. All the more reason to do it. Because he fears the small. He fears the seed. Because he knows the power of a seed. You with me? Have you ever gardened before? We have a thing out here called lamb's ear. It's like highly edible and nutritious, but it's very noxious. I heard about it one year, and I thought, well, I'm going to let one of those grow in my garden because I want to eat it. I can't get rid of it. One. One. I let one live, and I'm fighting it. I still, I'll fight it for the rest of my life. It will not go away. One plant produces like 10,000 seeds. Morning glory. Well, it looks awesome. So you plant it. You can't get rid of it. It's impossible. I've tried everything. That was the biggest mistake of my life. Okay. He fears the power of a seed. If you believe something and actually go into the ground and die and do what God's asking you to do, things change. 
You know, some of you, if you'd actually just carve out 10 minutes of your life and just say, God, I'm here to obey you. I'm here to spend time with you. If you just take that and just take those 10 minutes and focus on quality, not quantity, that God will begin to actually show up for you because you showed up for him. Well, God's not showing up for me. Well, when's the last time you showed up for him? Well, I go to church. No, 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 no. Church is where somebody else leads you into the presence. You're participating in what somebody else creates. If you can't create it yourself, you've got a big problem. You with me? I oh, know. I'm sorry. All right. Let's go down. I'm going to. If you can't steal your seed, you'll choke it out. That's Matthew 4, 7. You can go there and turn there. But I want, I want, to, I want, to want you to understand that the purposes of God are found in the manifestation of the sons of God. You'll never find the purposes of God outside of the people that he, he, he had ordains for that purpose. We are supposed to be the icon of what it means to be a people of the kingdom of heaven in the midst of a people in the kingdom of earth. We're supposed to be salt and light to something that's sterile and dark. Unfortunately, we have adopted the sterility and the darkness to be our method of operation to be able to be salt and light. It doesn't work. How do you hold the kingdom line? You focus on kingdom principle. Let me, let me just say it this way. When kingdom principles come to you, you are not going to like them. When kingdom principles usually come to Christians, Christians find the need to find a counselor. They don't need a counselor. They just need to die. They need to obey. Because within the obedience is the love that they say they profess. And then the life comes. People who don't obey don't love. Regardless of what they confess. Over and over in the Bible, Jesus, God says, their lips are close to me, but their heart is way out there. It's amazing that Christians can speak in tongues and be okay with cursing at the same time. The Bible says, how can this be? How can poison and, and, and life come from the same fountain? It can't. See, if you don't obey, you don't love. I don't care what the experiences you've had. I don't care, I don't care how many experiences with Jesus you had. You, never, never, you've, you haven't had an encounter that actually makes you like him. Are you following what I'm saying? Please hear me. Please hear me. Where you're at was good. But it's no longer where you need to be. Where you're at was your previous season. And if you try to live the next one he's bringing you into based upon the thinking you had in the old, you're going to screw the old one up the same way you screwed the last one up. Kingdom principles. When you're poor, you're blessed. I didn't finish it, but Jesus says, Blessed are you when you're persecuted. When all manner of evil is said against you for my name falsely. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Great is your reward in heaven. But when we're persecuted, we're like, Oh God, what did I do wrong? You didn't do anything wrong. The persecution is the proof you did something right. Your brain's messed up. I recently got rebuked for something I wasn't guilty of. 
People call it arrogance. God looks at me and says, you're blessed. You're persecuted. Every time someone rails on me from something that they perceive that doesn't come out of the Father's mouth, but it comes out of the enemy, guess what? All they're doing is helping me accrue more blessings. So bring it on. Say whatever you want. All you're doing is helping me if I have the right mindset. If I have an earthly mindset and I'm subject to human approval, then it's going to devastate me. But when you're not subject to human approval, people call you arrogant because they can't manipulate you with their persecutions. See how that works? Vicious little narcissistic circle they got, and they want you to get on their train, and when you don't, you're guilty. No, you can have your little dizzy spell. I'll just keep moving. See, when God reveals a son, his will is soon to be established, but sons always die first. Are you guys with me? Oh, man, I'm sorry. All right. Okay. I want, I want to go to one verse, and then, then I'll try to wrap it up. All right, uh, let's go to, oh, man. Matthew 11, verse 12. We'll, we'll, we'll end with this. I wish I had more time. All right, so there's something about the kingdom of heaven that we need to understand. We need to hold the kingdom line. And when, God, when, when, when the devil throws sickness on you, it means that you actually have the ability to heal. But people don't pray for people when they're sick because they feel like they're sick. Why are you sick? Because there's an, an, an onslaught against your body of darkness to keep you from seeing the plan of God for light. It's funny that you have one of the greatest healers of our time back in the 40s, Smith Wigglesworth, who was ill all the time. <laughs> I mean, the guy would stand up and preach for hours, and he would, his, his pants would be soaked with blood because he had kidney stones so bad he could hardly stand. He had 14 of them they ended up pulling out of his body. I mean, he would bleed almost to death preaching, and they'd have to take him back to the stage, and he'd, have, he'd pass out from blood loss. But how many people did he get healed? Do you realize his daughter was blind? She was never healed. If he would have looked at the sickness that was in his life, he would have missed the mandate that was on his life. The enemy wants you to focus on what he's doing instead of the anointing that God has placed. And so many of us do that every week. This thing happens to us, and then we identify with the pain instead of the resurrection that the pain brings. Oh, man, I hope you're getting it. I mean, I think it's good for me, but, you know. <laughs> Matthew eleven twelve. 12. And from the days of the John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Until now. It wasn't just now in Jesus' time when he was talking about this. It's up until our now. The king, from the days of John the Baptist. Why? Because the days of John the Baptist, he came in preaching repentance. What is repentance? It's changing how you think. In other words, this man took an entire culture and said, no longer are all the old things that you've been taught any longer relevant. Imagine telling that to an entire society and expecting them to drop it just like that. But that's what he expected. You can no longer interpret God through your old laws. Change your mind because a new kingdom is coming. But they didn't change their mindset. Why? Because they loved their mindset. They were familiar with their mindset. And the mindset they had created a war with the new one that was coming. And the war created violence that the kingdom suffers. And it says those in the kingdom, they take it by force. 
What does that mean? It means that those people who are suffering the violence of the kingdom actually go underneath the suffering of violence and death, and that is how they enforce the kingdom of God through life. It's exactly what Jesus did. He took it by force, but how did he take it? Through physical might and power and military? No, he took it by the force of the cross. When the cross comes in, the kingdom has been established. Everything that Jesus did before the cross was just a demonstration of the kingdom. When he implanted himself on the cross, it was an establishment of the kingdom. It was that point that the rest of the kingdom could begin to grow. It does no good for us as a church of Jesus to only have demonstrations but no establishment. If we have demonstrations and no establishment, the demonstrations will, will die with the person they were demonstrated upon. But when you have an establishment, something is planted and it can grow and produce more life. If we don't have people who have established kingdom thinking, then all we're going to have is church service after church service after church service where God comes down and influences people, but people don't adopt the kingdom mentality, they don't change, and then the establishment never occurs. He says these people take it by force. They die under the force that's coming against them to fight that other mindset. And that death is the thing that brings forth the life. It's not the power of the sin. The sin is there so that it can be cleansed by the blood. The sin was brought up so that the blood could have its place. The sun was manifested so that death could take place in his body so that life could be in others. When death manifests itself in you, which are you going to decide? That, that, that you need a demonstration of the kingdom and God to deliver you from that? Or you need an establishment of the kingdom where God dies in you and you die in him. And then you're raised to dead and then you can live the ascended life because you live the crucified life. No, no amens. I'm out of breath. I'm sorry. It's the best I got. This is the gospel of the kingdom. It is our mindsets and our inability to see that causes us to live in a different way. I'm trying to help you here. Your life is messed up because your mind's messed up. You believe what you feel and not what he said. Go read Matthew 5 over and over and over and over again until you get it in your head that these things are not bad things. In fact, they're answers to your prayer. When poverty of spirit comes, when mourning comes, when these things come, they are answers to your prayer that God is giving you to move into the next season. But you're trying to take the old things that John the Baptist was trying to eradicate and you're trying to bring them into the new life and it won't work. That's why most Christians are confused and displaced and discouraged. Because they're trying to be people of the world and people of God at the same time. And God will not bless that. But they spend their entire time praying that God blesses it. Amen. And then the pastor comes and says, are you praying? And they have enough insulation against conviction to say, yes, I'm praying. But they're praying all the wrong things and they're praying things that will never be answered. Because they're not living in a demonstrated power of the gospel of the kingdom. When God asks you to give something up, it's because he has something greater to give you. Amen. You can stand. I'm sorry I had more, but I went too long. Don't, please, get discouraged with distractions. When the enemy tries to distract you, it's because something great is about to come. When God establishes his sons, it's because he's got a purpose. The fact that we sang that song at the end and the fact that I've hammered identity for the last five years in this church is because... God is about to do something, and he won't do it through, without his people. 
And if the enemy can remove the sons of God, he can remove the plan of God. He can't beat God himself. But if he can beat God, the, the people whom God uses, then the plan is, might as well be beat. You see, the, without getting an idolatry, you are the linchpin to this entire thing. I mean, you're out there thinking like God's out there and you're down here and you're just still trying to catch his attention. He's like, no, you are the one that causes this entire thing to make or break. All because you've trained yourself to live by a society that says, don't suffer, don't be poor, don't mourn, don't cry, don't hurt, don't wound, don't, don't do any of that. you got to be strong. There's a difference between strength and courage. Courage just simply faces fear and overcomes it. You know why the Bible says we have to renew our strength? Because when you operate in courage, it saps your strength. doesn't mean you don't have it. It just means you need it renewed. And some of us aren't operating in courage. We're, we're believing the lie. We're believing the things that were told about us when we were little. We're believing all the lies financially. We're believing the lies socio uh, socially and economically and politically. We're believing all the lies. Like that has some sort of power over us. Will it have power over you after you die? Then why are you letting it have power over you here? Seek first the kingdom. See, my, my, my life's been hard, yeah. It's because God's blessing you. I don't remember which one it is, Psalm 72, 4, somewhere up in there. It just starts off with this guy going, man, I don't understand. All the heathen are blessed. Every time they turn around and do wrong, everything's good in their life. Whatever they touch prospers. I sacrifice for nothing. I'm going to the house of God. I'm just oppressed. I'm beat down. I don't understand why all this is happening. And about halfway through the psalm, he stops and he goes, but then I considered their end and I considered where they were going and when I considered that it didn't matter how blessed they were I realized I was the one that was blessed I'm paraphrasing we need to consider where we're going your job is one small facet of your life that should serve the kingdom and if you take care of that, God will give you more. If you take care of your job, God will give you something else. You want a ministry? Start with what you have. Be faithful in it. And God will give you more. But every time he gives you more, he's going to require more of you to die. And if you don't die, you stop your growth process. You stay right there. But if you die... You raise, and you move forward, and the process goes over and over and over and over again until people look at you one day and go, man, all I see in you is Jesus. And you're going to look at him and go, you have no clue what that cost me, but it was worth every penny. So God wants you to hold the kingdom line, because if you don't hold it, nobody will. He's banking on you holding the line that he started. 
When Jesus ascended, it said he led them as far as Bethany. And he ascended. That, that, that word Bethany means place of victory. He led them as far as the place of victory, and he left. And he said, I, I, I put you there, and I expect you to hold it. I expect you to stand there. And so right now, I just want to take just a second. If there's any distractions, good, bad, neutral in your life, it's the time to say, hey, God, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I need you to open my eyes. And I need to be reminded of why I'm here. So, Father, we just pray that for right now, for those who are hungry and those who are willing, that you open our eyes. Not to what we've seen in the past, because we've already seen that, but what's in the future? Because it's technically illegal for us to look at the past. We're supposed to look at things present and things to come. So, Father, I pray that your people here would actually hear what I'm saying by the Spirit and they would hold the kingdom line. That they are the, the hinge on which your will swings. That when they're poor and they're broken and they're mourning and they're tired and they're hurt and they're thirsty and they're hungry, they're exactly where they need to be. Because if they're people of the cross, then you can trust them to be people of the ascension. So we thank you for every hard thing. Some of y'all just need to stop right now and just thank God for hard stuff. You just need to like say, God, thank you for all these hard things I've had to go through. I, I've, I've fought you. I've, I've tried to get you to change them. And I, I, I haven't worshipped you for them. I haven't thanked you for them. Thank you for the hard things. Thank you for the hurt. Thank you for the betrayal. Thank you for the loss. Thank you for the hunger. Thank you for the thirst. Thank you for the mourning. Thank you for, for the poverty. Thank you for these things because they've put me at your feet. So for Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to do a work in these people like only you can do. Not a man can do it. Not a pastor, not a preacher, not a prophet, not an apostle, not a teacher. None of them can do it. Only you, Holy Spirit, can work in people's hearts. So I'm asking you by your power to come in and just change people's minds. That this new covenant, this new power that you've said uh, is supposed to be resting on our hearts and minds would just be coming to be delivered right now, Lord. God, that the old things, that the kingdom of suffering violence from the old would be pressing itself into the new. That new thought processes and new ideas and new creativity and new understanding of your, of your teachings would come into place in people's minds. That they would be people of the kingdom, which means the earth doesn't define them. The earth doesn't define them. But what you said defines them because what you said is eternal and it's pure and it's powerful and it can never be polluted. If we come into it, it purifies us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Redeem minds, redeem hearts right now all across this place. Just give us a new mindset of what we're here for, what we're living for, what we're breathing for. That we're not here to take up space and exist and suffer for no reason. But the suffering was given because you want us to advance. You've, you've, you've chosen us. It's almost to the point where we, get, we feel sorry in our hearts when we look at our brothers and sisters who aren't suffering. Just like the Chinese Christians feel sorry for American Christians because we don't suffer. And we redefine this thing called life. And we thank you, Father, that if it, things don't go our way, it's because you're setting us up for something better. Because you're not sadistic and you're not a thief. 
When you remove, it's because it needs to go. It, it will hinder the new. It will infect the new. So pull it out. Take it out. Minister to your people. Love on them. I bless them. I, I bless them to know you. I bless them to receive you. I bless them to, to think about you in new ways. I bless their minds to open in Jesus' name. Their hearts to open. Their ears to open. Their eyes to see. I bless them in Jesus' name. Your children, Father. You, oh God, you love them so much. Fight for them when they can't fight for themselves. And raise them up to think differently. That they are here to enforce a different kingdom. We honor you. We thank you. We love you. We ask these things in your precious name. And we seal them by your blood and faith. Amen.